Uh, friends, let's pray. Uh, Father, what a night it would have been for Zechariah. It seems that he had eight visions, yes, eight visions in one night. Uh, we thank you for how you obviously revealed yourself to him and therefore your people. And we ask that you help us this morning to know how it applies to our lives and that by your spirit we may live faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Our friends, uh, today we're looking at Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. It is the eighth vision of eight. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, we've just about made it. Uh, the rest of the book, uh, we'll be looking at most of it in the coming weeks, is a different type of literature. It's not visions as such, but it's still the word of the Lord. And verse 9, straight after vision 8, even says so. Now, something keeps surfacing uh, in all these visions. It comes up over and over and over again. But then God's prophets of old were regularly on about this thing too. Uh, before we look at what it is, we'll quickly work through these verses. So verses 1 to 4. Verse 1, I looked up again and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled, all of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these, my lord? I guess I would have also... <laughs> asked the angel, is this the last vision or are there going to be nine? <laughs> uh, retrospectively, maybe I should have uh, asked the first one, after the first one, as to how many visions <laughs> uh, he's going to reveal to me tonight. So this vision is about coloured horses, chariots and mountains. It's also about four chariots and two mountains. Comment about the horses. There were red ones, black ones, white ones and dappled ones, literally spotted or marked ones. And most people think that because horses are also mentioned in Zechariah chapter 1 and in Revelation chapter 6, and both in the context of judgment, that this vision is also about judgment. And as one reads on, it certainly does seem so. I also suppose horses are a type of animal that is readily around, let alone can travel long distances and long distances with a person on them, a horse and a rider. But these horses don't seem to have riders. Instead, the horses pull along a chariot, no doubt with a person, a driver, you could say. Now a comment about chariots. Chariots meant war. They were built for war. Chariots, therefore, usually meant judgment. They were standard military equipment back then. For example, that's how Pharaoh and his army attacked Moses and God's people, Exodus 14. That's also how the Philistines, the word behind Palestine, or Palestinians, opposed Israel 
when God said to take them and establish the promised land. One can read all about those places that were taken, some not completely taken, and those places, cities, included Gaza. Yes, uh, what has become known as the Gaza Strip uh, in Judges chapter 1. Yes, sadly, some things haven't changed much today, have they? Israel and Palestine are still fighting more than, more than 3,000 years later. It's absolutely awful. No wonder we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122, verse 6. Yes, chariots, especially iron-clad ones, uh, meant war. And there were four of them. Four of them meant total war, total judgment. The symbolism of the number four is well established in the Bible. Four means totality. Four chariots meant a very large military force indeed, one in fact that operates everywhere, everywhere throughout the whole earth as we are about to see. Finally, comment about the mountains. I would have asked another question about the mountains as I'm not sure what they in this vision represent. <laughs> like there are two mountains and some say no doubt because they are described as mountains that they are Mount Zion where the current temple is and Mount, Ol Mount of Olives uh, where Jesus prayed before his arrest, Luke 22 verse 39, with the Kidron Valley in between them. Others say because they are bronze mountains, they're all about judgment. After all, it was a bronze snake, Numbers 21.9. But that was also about salvation. <laughs> so I'm not sure. <laughs> I still others say the two bronze mountains represent the bronze pillars of the temple itself. But as I keep saying, I am not sure. I would have asked the angel another question. <laughs> all I know is that these, all these chariots coming out between these two mountains most likely represent God going forth from his heavenly temple to wage war, to bring about judgment everywhere. I think it's right to say that that what we see here is what's anticipated in Zechariah 2.13. 2.13 says, Be still before the Lord all mankind, everyone, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Yes, that is what I think is being conveyed in this somewhat cryptic vision. But let's now have a look at verses 5 to 8 as to what the angel says about this vision in response to Zechariah's questioning. Verse 5, the angel answered me, these are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. The one with the black horses is going towards the north country. The one with the white horses towards the west and the one with the dappled horses towards the south. When the powerful horses went out, they were straining to go throughout their earth, or eager. 
as some translations have. And he said, go throughout the earth. So they went throughout the earth. Then he called to me, look, those going towards the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. And so Trevor asked the angel again, what do you mean? (laughs) I suppose I'll mention three things about these verses before we make two conclusions. The first is this. Did you notice that the four chariots with horses represent the four spirits of heaven that no doubt represent God? But did you also notice that in verse 6, there are only three chariots now? (laughs) with horses. So what happened to the red horses heading towards the other compass point (laughs) to the east? I I do agree with scholars on this that it seems something has been lost in the original manuscript. Maybe one day it will be found. (laughs) One day you therefore might find an addition to this verse, an addition that includes the red horses and the chariot going towards the east. Yes, they are not in the Bibles we have today. The second of three things is, why the singling out of the north? Verse 8. We need to understand that the north was dangerous. Dangerous to the people of Israel. It is from where Assyria and Babylon attacked them. They came from the north. The north was symbolically the land of the enemy. Compare, have a look at Jeremiah 1.13 to 14 and Zechariah 2.6 in this very book. It's like if one lives in New South Wales and you mention the north. (laughs) It will mean Queensland, doesn't it, Jeff? (laughs) Yes, Queensland does win the state of origin a fair bit (laughs) in recent years. They are the enemy of New South Wales. (laughs) Likewise, if you mention Australia as a country and single out the north, it would mean countries like China and Russia. Yes, the north symbolically was the land of the enemies. After all, you could say that nothing much else was left. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you went to the east, think about it, east of... Israel, it was the desert. If you went to the west, a chariot would sink (laughs) in the Mediterranean Sea. And if you went south, there was Egypt, but it was no longer a force to be reckoned with. Its glory days were history. Yes, nothing much except the north. The third of the things is found in the second part of verse 8. The whole of verse 8 says, Then he called to me, Look, those going towards the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. So what does that mean? I believe it means that the chariot and horses heading that way conquer the north and establish God's rule. His spirit is therefore at rest. Justice has been delivered. Justice has been delivered to the enemies, the enemies of God, the enemies of God's people. 
Yes, by saying my spirit is now at rest, some versions say, uh, my version of the Bible says, God's wrath has been appeased, means that final judgment in this vision has been been delivered once and for all. God is now at peace, and so his people are now at peace. Finally, sigh of relief. Look at things now. The promised land is certainly now flowing with milk and honey. You could say the new heaven and the new earth has finally now come. The old one is now gone. Bring it on. You could also say, come, Lord Jesus, come, sums up this verse. So what are the two conclusions? Well, the first is this, and it's been burning away at me, (laughs) perhaps you too. Like, the theme of God's judgment of the rebellious world, yes, the theme of God's judgment of the rebellious world has surfaced repeatedly. And I'm thinking, why? Why so much judgment? What about love? There's judgment and judgment and judgment. And sometimes it's been quite terrifying. I almost feel like changing the subject. (laughs) Yes, judgment of the rebellious world and therefore rebellious people surfaces repeatedly. But it makes sense as although there are eight specific visions, at one one level they are all about the one revelation. And so perhaps one thing too, judgment. How do you feel about judgment? Does it freak you out? Or does it comfort you? I find that it does both to me. And maybe it should be doing both for all of us. Like, this is the lawyer in me, Paul. (laughs) I want justice delivered. (laughs) As there's so many injustices in the world today. There are also so many complicated injustices like what is happening in the Middle East today. Even we at NHA needing to move is an injustice. And most people know that. But by the time lawyers deal with it and the Human Rights Commission look at it, it's probably going to be too late let alone what it might cost. Just moving is costing us. Yes, I want to see justice delivered. And so it is a great comfort to have these visions, a great comfort. God one day will deal with it all. But but I feel there is a dichotomy here, two opposing thoughts here. What do I mean? I mean that I, I don't want justice delivered to me because I wouldn't stand a chance before a holy, holy, holy 
God. Would you? Yes, I like. The, I, I, I very much like the idea of God being very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, and therefore His people. Uh, Zechariah one fourteen. That's great. He will certainly look after His people. That's what these visions tell us. But these visions also tell us that He will completely destroy sin and sinners. Completely. They'll be a goner. These visions tell us that he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Imagine that. (laughs) And that everything, hence the number four, will be set right once and for all. Yes, I want justice. Bring it on. (laughs) Things are so unfair today. But temper it a little with love, with mercy. Perhaps temper it peeps for me. (laughs) Do you feel the same or is it just me? Yes, having and now knowing these visions greatly comfort me but also greatly freak me out. And this brings me, uh, hopefully us, uh, to the other conclusion today. The coming kingdom of God has massive implications. Yes, it has massive implications for how we live now. I'll repeat that. The coming kingdom of God has massive implications for how we live now. Now, there's only one way, only one, in case you're wondering, that we can face this sort of judgment with any degree of confidence. And what is that only way? It is Jesus. He is the way. Sort of reminds me of a song. (laughs) He is the way. It's only through trusting in what he has done and who he therefore is that one's past can be dealt with, one's present can be managed, and one's future can be secure. It's only through trusting in him. And that, my friends, is the comfort side of the dichotomy. God is building his kingdom through his son, by his spirit. Compare Zechariah 4.6. And so he is building us, his people, through his spirit because we have now trusted in his son. But, But all of that has now massive implications for how we now live. Massive. The other side of the dichotomy. Hence our reading from Matthew chapter 5 today by Joe. Johanna. That reading reminds us that it's all going to be okay. But also reminds us of how we are to now live. For example... We are now to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So do we. And so do I. For example, as mentioned last week, as many overseas Christians have told me, uh, in Australia we're generally too wealthy, generally too worldly and generally too comfortable. So are we? Am I? Or do we hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
Yes, because of the coming kingdom of God, this world, this Babylon, will be no more. And therefore, the coming kingdom of God has massive implications for how God's people live now. And so we are to get things right. Uh, We are to change where necessary in preparation for the kingdom to come. I think, if anything, it seems that things in future years will get even harder. I'm sure 30 years ago, we didn't think the world would be like this today. We therefore not only need Jesus to place us on the narrow path of the kingdom, but we will also need his spirit and each other to keep us, encourage us to remain on the straight and narrow path of the kingdom. Yes, the coming kingdom of God has massive implications for how we are to live now. So don't give in to the world, to the Babylon around us. And if we have been, get out of it now. Turn to or turn back to Jesus. Friends, in summing up, God is building his kingdom and therefore his chariots are coming, all of them. Amen.